aspirants welcome to the study with this amran podcast today we're going to cover chapter number 17 of grade 11th biology that is breathing and exchange of gases make sure that you people have your ncrt open so that you know you can relate things which i'm i'm reading out over here as you read earlier oxygen is utilized by the organism to indirectly break down simple molecules like glucose amino acids fatty acid etc to derive energy to perform various activities carbon dioxide which is harmful is also released during the above catabolic reaction remember uh it is a catabolic reaction okay they had they are actually mentioning the kind of reaction whether it is catabolic or anabolic so yeah it is a utilization of oxygen to uh, break down this glucose amino acid and fatty acid is a catabolic reaction actually we are breaking the things down and during that process carbon dioxide is also released it is therefore evident that o2 has to be continuously provided to the cells and co2 produced by the cells have to be released out this process of exchange of o2 from the atmosphere with the co2 produced by the cell is called breathing commonly known as respiration place your hands on your chest you can feel the chest moving up and down you know what uh, you know that it is due to the breathing how do we breathe the respiratory organs and the mechanism of breathing are described in the following section of this chapter so we going to de- discuss in detail what actually what are the steps involved in uh, breathing and all so let's start with the respiratory organs very important paragraph listen to me carefully mechanism of breathing vary among different groups of animal depending mainly on their habitats and level of organization lower invertebrates like sponges cnidarians flatworms like uh, till plate elementis exchange of exchange they all exchange o2 with co2 by simple diffusion over their entire body surface so there are no specialized respiratory organs but a seen till plate elementis earthworm use their moist cuticle and insect have a network of tubes that is tracheal tubes to transport atmospheric air within the body so remember earthworm is using his moist cuticle which we already discussed in the uh, structural and organization chapter and uh, basically the anatomy of animals and uh, there's uh, some insects have uh, the network of tubes named as basic named as tracheal tubes uh, which help in uh, which help in transportation of uh, you know air within the body special vascularized structures called gills uh, like uh, gills are there for branchial respiration are used by most of the aquatic arthropods and mollusks whereas vascularized bags called lungs or the pulmonary respiration are used by tracheal forms for the exchange of gases so gills are for the brachial respiration and lungs are for the pulmonary respiration you know lungs are also known by the term pulmon so yeah pulmonary respiration among vertebrates fishes use gills whereas amphibian reptiles birds and mammals respire through lungs remember among vertebrates fishes are the ones only using gills whereas amphibians reptiles birds and mammals respire through their lungs very important line amphibians like frogs can respire through their moist skin which is cutaneous respiration also whenever they are you know uh, uh, whenever frogs undergo this hibernation and estivation they uh, use their uh, cutaneous uh, respiration skill they use their moist skin to you know exchange the uh, air inside and outside the body so yeah these are few respiratory organ discussed uh, now 
Now let's discuss the human respiratory system. We have a pair of external nostrils opening out above the upper lips. It leads to a nasal chamber through the nasal passage. The nasal chamber opens into the pharynx, a portion of which is a common passage for food and air, which we already discussed in the digestion chapter. The pharynx opens through the larynx region into the trachea. Larynx is a cartilaginous box which helps in uh, uh, which helps in sound production and hence called the sound box. Now remember, see what is written over here that pharynx, the pharynx opens through the larynx region into the trachea. So uh, this, uh, you will see the pharynx below the uh, you know below the larynx so firstly you will see the larynx then comes this pharynx and this will lead us to the trachea okay now during swallowing glottis can be covered by a thin elastic cartilaginous flap called epiglottis remember it's a thin elastic okay not non-elastic it's elastic then it's cartilaginous flap okay cartilaginous flap called epiglottis to prevent the entry of food into the larynx okay now uh, trachea is a straight tube extending up to the middle thoracic cavity which divides at the level of fifth thoracic vertebra into a right and left primary bronchi each bronchi undergo repeated division to form the secondary and tertiary bronchi and bronchioles ending up in very thin terminal bronchioles the trachea, primary, secondary, and tertiary bronchi, and the initial bronchioles are supported by incomplete cartilaginous rings. Remember this. Each, uh, each terminal bronchiole gives rise to a number of very thin, irregular, walled, and vascularized bag-like structures called alveoli. The branching network of bronchi, bronchioles, and alveoli comprises the lungs. We have two lungs which are covered by a double-layer pleura with pleural fluid between them. It reduces friction on the lung surface. The outer pleural membrane is in close contact with the thoracic lining, whereas the inner pleural membrane is in contact with the lung surface. The parts starting from the external nostrils up to the terminal bronchiole constitute the conducting part, whereas the alveoli and the duct form the respiratory or the exchange part of the respiratory system. The conducting part transports the atmospheric air to the alveoli. Remember the function of conducting part, okay? They are uh, involved in transportation of atmospheric air to the alveoli, clear it from the foreign particles, humidifies and also brings the air to body temperature. Ex now, if we talk about the exchange part, then exchange part is the site of actual diffusion of O2 and CO2 between blood and atmospheric air. Now, the lungs are situated in the thoracic chamber, which is anatomically as an airtight chamber. The thoracic chamber is formed dorsally by the vertebral column, ventrally by the sternum, laterally by the ribs, and on the lower side by the dome-shaped diaphragm. Now, remember this very important line. Dorsally, we have our ventral heart and uh, ventral sternum. Uh, so, ventral sternum, isn't it? So, dorsal is a vertebral column, which we all know that uh, we, we, vertebral column is at the back and... Uh, 
literally like sidewise there are ribs and uh, at below at the lower side you will find that you will see the diaphragm the anatomical setup of lungs in thorax is such that any change in the volume of the thoracic cavity will be reflected in the lung or the pulmonary cavity such an arrangement is essential for breathing as we cannot directly alter the pulmonary volume now respiration involves the following steps these are the very important steps remember the order okay first step is breathing or pulmonary ventilation by which atmospheric air is drawn in and co2 rich alveolar air is released out so this is you know the breathing breathing the another name for breathing mentioned over here is pulmonary ventilation remember the term they may you know uh, exchange like in place of breathing they may use the pulmonary ventilation second step is diffusion of gases o2 and co2 across the alveolar membrane okay now firstly we are taking in the oxygen and releasing out the carbon dioxide the second step is diffusion of oxygen the oxygen which we had inhaled and the carbon dioxide which we want to exhale is exchanged in the alveolar membrane then third step is transport of gases by the blood fourth step is diffusion of oxygen and carbon dioxide between blood and tissues and fifth and the final step is utilization of oxygen by cells for catabolic reaction and result uh, resultant release of co2 which is the cellular respiration as we're going to discuss we had not yet discussed the chapter 14 we will discuss that soon uh, respiration in uh, higher plants we will discuss this uh, process in detail there now let's study the mechanism of breathing Remember these five steps are very important. Okay. Now, breathing involves two stages. Inspiration during which atmospheric air is drawn in and expiration by which the alveolar air is released out. The movement of air into and out of the lungs is carried out by creating a pressure gradient between the lungs and the atmosphere. Inspiration can occur if the pressure within the lungs that is the intrapulmonary pressure is less than the pulmonary pressure. That is, there is a negative pressure in the lungs with respect to atmospheric pressure. There is, there is always a flow from higher pressure to the lower pressure. So, yeah, you can uh, understand it, isn't it? Similarly, expiration takes place when the intrapulmonary pressure is higher than the atmospheric pressure. The diaphragm and a specialized set of muscles, external and internal intercostal between the ribs, help in generation of such gradients. Inspiration is initiated by the concentration of sorry inspiration is initiated by contraction of diaphragm very important line inspiration is initiated by the contraction of diaphragm which increases the volume of thoracic chamber in the anteroposterior axis very important term anteroposterior axis this inspiration is involved uh, happens when there is a when diaphragm contracts uh, at the anteroposterior axis uh, try to this you know do it practically like when you try to inhale the air you can actually feel keep uh, uh, you know this uh, you know, volume of thoracic chamber is increasing because we are inhaling something isn't it now the contraction of external internal costal muscles lifts up the ribs and the sternum causing an increase in the volume of the thoracic chamber in the dorsal ventral axis so uh, the the uh, ex excretion basically involves the contraction of uh, uh, you know the external intercostal muscles and uh, 
they at that time they lift the ray they actually you know just a, just a second see it's just you know kind of little weirdo thing listen to me carefully excretion is a uh, excretion happen uh, sorry not excretion expiration occurs only when there is a relaxation of inter intercostal muscle relaxation of intercostal muscles and diaphragm actually causes excretion but here the statement written is the contraction of external intercostal muscles actually lifts up the ribs which is seen in case of inspiration not in expiration and the uh, you know sternum causing an increase in the volume of the thoracic chamber in the dorsoventral axis it means that the conclusion is uh, this uh, mm, diaphragm increases the volume of thoracic chamber in anteroposterior axis, but this uh, but this ribs and the sternum cause increase in the volume of the thoracic chamber in the dorsoventral axis, isn't it? So. Uh, this uh, diaph diaphragm is involved for the anteroposterior axis and these uh, uh, ribs and sternum are involved uh, to increase the volume of a thoracic chamber in at the dorsoventral axis so that is the thing uh, okay I, I hope you got the point now the overall increase in the thoracic volume cause a similar this increase is happening because of uh, you know diaphragm ribs and sternum they are increasing the volume at different axes one is increasing at the anteroposterior axis another is uh, another two that is the ribs and sternum are increasing the volume at the dorsoventral axis so uh, they are increasing the volume the overall increase in the thoracic volume causes similar increase in pulmonary volume an increase in pulmonary volume decrease the intrapulmonary pressure to less than the atmospheric pressure which forces the air from outside to move into the lungs that is inspiration isn't it now relaxation of the diaphragm and the intercostal muscles returns the diaphragm and sternum to their normal positions and reduce the thoracic volume and thereby the pulmonary volume this leads to an increase in intrapulmonary pressure to slightly above the atmospheric pressure causing the expulsion of air from the lungs that is expiration we have the ability to increase the strength of additional muscle in the abdomen on an average a healthy human breathes 12 to 16 times per minute the volume of air involved in breathing movements can be estimated by using a spirometer which helps in the clinical assessment of pulmonary functions now you will see the abdominal muscles most of the time you will see the abdominal muscles involved in respiration in case of males um, in females most of the time this abdominal muscles are not involved unless and until there is no force inspiration or expiration okay now here there is a diagram mentioned showing us the inspiration and the expiration you can see the how this air is entering how this volume is increasing uh, ribs and sternums are you know kind of raised and diaphragm is kind of contracted and if we talk about the expiration condition then you can see the ribs and uh, sternum are actually at their original position volume of thorax has actually decreased air is getting expelled and diaphragm uh, is at the relaxed position and it's you know uh, arced or the dome shaped kind of upward position you can see no no not dome shape it is kind of arced upwards okay uh, okay now uh, now let's discuss this uh, uh, what we can say the next thing that is the respiratory volume and capacities 
tidal volume so tv which is the volume of air inspired or expired during a normal respiration it is approximately 500 ml that is a healthy man can inspire or expire approximately 6000 to 8000 ml of air per minute very simple common uh, no one can uh, no one is actually you know no one can uh, can make mistake in case of tidal volume it's very simple now inspiratory reserve volume what is irv now listen to carefully listen to me carefully additional volume of air a person can inspire by a forcible ex- inspiration this averages to 2500 ml to 3000 ml okay inspiratory reserve volume focus on the terminologies inspiratory reserve volume the maximum amount of air that we can inspire that is about 2500 to 3000 ml then comes this expiratory reserve volume or the erv additional volume of air a person can expire by a forcible expiration this averages uh, 1000 ml to 1000 ml now remember this expiratory reserve volume remember the values okay irv is a little higher than ex- erv uh, irv is 2500 to 3k and erv is uh, 1k only if we talk about the residual volume, then volume of air remaining in the lungs even after forcible expiration, this averages 1100 ml to 1200 ml. Now, this is also the simple thing. Now, by adding up a few respiratory volumes described above, one can derive various pulmonary capacities which can be used in clinical diagnosis. Now, there is uh, this inspiratory capacity now let's see what is this ins- inspiratory capacity the volume total volume of air which we have the capacity to inhale is involved in uh, inspiratory capacity the term is only you know self-explanatory total volume of air a person can inspire after a normal expiration after a normal expiration okay it's just a normal expiration and you are you want to check what is your inspiration capacity then then it gonna include this includes tidal volume and the inspiratory reserve volume quite makes sense isn't it and then if we talk about the expiratory capacity then total volume of air a person can expire after a normal inspiration uh, this includes tidal volume and expiratory reserve volume that is uh, tv plus erv this is also simple life asan hai yahan tak now uh, functional residual capacity that is the frc uh, where the volume of air that will remain in the lungs after the normal expiration okay this includes erv plus rv so the functional residual capacity you know it's again this uh, self-explanatory term we know what is the definition of erv erv is also the air which we can release but by you know kind of forceful expiration but we always not do forceful expiration isn't it if we just do the normal expiration then this forceful force the air which we gonna exhale with the help of forceful expiration gonna stay inside our lungs only na? so the functional residual capacity involves this expiratory reserve volume plus resolve vol- residual volume which is always is gonna be there then if we talk about the vital capacity then vital capacity is the maximum volume of air a person can breathe in after a forced expiration okay vital capacity is the total uh, you know when the lung is kind of empty there is just the residual volume present what are the things that you can you know kind of fill in 
so that will first feel the ERV uh, expiratory reserve volume because uh, there is a force expiration so there is no air left inside our lungs to you know uh, uh, use when we want to do uh, forceful expiration so firstly they will feel the ERV then they are gonna take the IRV and then tidal volume which is a normal kind of expiration so this is also you know kind of simple or oh, the maximum volume of air a person can breathe out after a forced inspiration so this this actually is a you know uh, uh, this definition is there the, let's read this again the maximum volume of air a person can breathe in after a forced expiration or this includes ERV TV and IRV or the maximum volume of air a person can breathe out after a forced inspiration isn't it uh, if we forcefully uh, you know uh, in if if we, if we had actually you know forcefully inhaled the air okay forcefully we had inhaled the then then, then we will have, we will be having you know uh, irv in, uh, irv uh, inside as well so when we try to uh, release you can when we are you know kind of doing forceful expiration then it gonna release again this irv tv and erv so it is you know in both the sense uh, it is uh, having the you know same meaning uh, this two meaning like there are two statements given two definitions of vital capacity are given so remember that then if we talk about the total lung capacity that the total lung capacity is the maximum volume that lungs can actually hold total volume of air accommodated in the lungs at the end of forced inspiration remember it's the forced inspiration okay it's we are not talking about expiration we are not talking about exhaling we want the total lung capacity how much volume of air a lung can you know uh, kind of accommodate then this includes reserve volume uh, sorry residual volume which is always gonna be there then there is ERV then TV and IRV or vital uh, or you can say uh, it is a vital capacity plus residual volume vital capacity just don't include this uh, uh, you know residual volume which is always there vital capacity does not involve because uh, uh, we are not talking about the lung capacity vital capacity is something which we want to inhale or exhale that is our vital capacity not uh, lungs capacity so that's why there is uh, uh, we are not mentioning residual volume which is always gonna stay inside the lungs okay so total lung capacity is uh, vital lung capacity plus residual volume and uh, vital cap uh, yeah that's it rv erv tv and irv okay now uh, let's discuss the exchange of gases uh, alveoli are the primary site of exchange of gases exchange of gases also occur between blood and tissues oxygen and carbon dioxide are exchanged in the sites by simple diffusion mainly based on pressure or the concentration gradient solubility of the gases as well as the thickness of the membrane involved in diffusion are also some important factors that can affect the rate of diffusion pressure contributed by an individual gas in a mixture of gas is called a partial pressure and is represented as partial oxygen po2 for oxygen and pco2 for carbon dioxide partial pressure of these two gases in the atmosphere air and the two uh, and and the two sites of diffusion are given in table 17.1 and table 17 point and, and in figure 17.3 the data given in the table clearly indicates a concentration gradient for oxygen from alveoli to blood and blood to tissues uh, similarly a gradient is present for co2 in the opposite direction that is from tissue to blood and blood to alveoli 
as the solubility of CO2 is 20 to 25 times higher uh, than that of O2, the amount of CO2 that can diffuse through the diffusion membrane per unit difference in partial pressure is much higher compared to that of O2. The diffusion membrane is made up of three major layers, namely uh, the thin squamous epithelium of alveoli, the endothelium of uh, the endothelium of alveolar capillaries, and the basement substance composed of a thin basement membrane supporting the squamous epithelium and the basement membrane surrounding the single layer. Uh, endothelial uh, cells of capillaries in between them however its total thickness is much less than a millimeter therefore all the factors in our body are favorable for diffusion of o2 from alveoli to tissue and that of co2 uh, from tissues to alveoli now this table seven let's discuss the table 17.1 the table is actually very very important uh, let's uh, have a look upon it uh, see the respiratory gas are oxygen and co2 right so atmosphere at first contains you know one uh, po2 at the value of 159 millimeter hg partial pressure is 159 and if we talk about the co2 then it's just 0.3 percent sorry 0.3 millimeter uh, millimeter uh, hg and if we talk about the condition in alveoli then in case of alveoli there is a uh, oxygen is again high there but uh, you will see the increase in uh, uh, carbon dioxide content as well so what gonna happen now is uh, the alveoli uh, the carbon uh, see the for carbon dioxide is there so uh, it's actually there in you know a little high amount so this blood deoxygenated blood will contain the more amount of carbon dioxide compared to this oxygen but this alveoli is having the you know higher amount of oxygen compared to this uh, carbon dioxide but the deoxygenated blood contains the carbon more carbon dioxide and if we talk about the oxygenated blood then uh, there is a 95 and 40 ratio of uh, oxygen and carbon dioxide and again in tissue you will see carbon dioxide is more compared to the oxygen because there is you know metabolic reaction are uh, continuously happening so there is you know excel of uh, co2 we will uh, understand this more with this uh, diagram mentioned over here see uh, have a, let's have a look see firstly we had in, in inhale the air okay which actually contains the uh, partial pressure of o2 is 104 millimeter hg there and pco2 is 40 millimeter hg okay now uh, at the alveoli level we can see the partial pressure of oxygen is quite high now we know that pulmonary pulmonary vein carries the oxygenated air so this oxygenated air which is having the po2 104 millimeter hg gonna move towards uh, through the systematic arteries and uh, it, 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 it is carrying the oxygenated blood isn't it so uh, the, at that when when it is carrying uh, when the blood arteries are carrying this oxygenated blood at that time the partial pressure of oxygen gonna be 95 millimeter hg which is quite high compared to the partial pressure of carbon dioxide that is 40 millimeter hg that's why the blood is oxygenated now when this oxygenated blood reaches to the capillaries then uh, there is you know kind of a exchange taking place between the oxygen and uh, co2 of the tissue and now the blood is turning you know kind of uh, deoxygenated de which is uh, containing more level of co2 you can see that uh, partial pressure of carbon dioxide is 45 and po2 is decreased to till 40 millimeter hg now now this blood is uh, deoxygenated blood will move towards the pulmonary artery and it it, it will get exhaled uh, it will get expired in the atmosphere so this is you know kind of cycle which uh, keeps on uh, uh, happening
happening and if we talk about the alveolar uh, uh, you know uh, alveolar layers then basically there are three major layers there first layer is a thin squamous epithelial uh, epithelium then second one is the endothelium of alveolar capillaries and the third is the basement substance which is composed of thin basement membrane supporting the squamous epithelium and the basement membrane surrounding the single layer endothelial cells of capillaries in between them so basically three layers are there if you if you try to summarize them then it includes first is the squamous epithelium then second is the endothelium of alveolar capillaries and the third is the basement membrane okay now basement membrane is non-cellular acellular okay it's acellular unicellular or you can see uh let's discuss this labeling as well uh, you can see the basement membrane there endothelium of blood capillaries there alveolar capillaries the cavity is there then square bus epithelium of alveolar wall which is one cell thick uh then you can see the blood capillary red blood cell yeah that that, that that's uh, just make sure you know the labeling that's it now let's discuss the transport of gases how this transport of gases actually takes place uh, we will discuss this transport of gases in the next segment. Well, transport of gases. Uh, blood is a medium of transport for oxygen and CO2. About 97% of oxygen uh, is transported by RBC in the blood. The remaining 3% of oxygen is carried in a dissolved state through the plasma. Nearly 20 to 25% of carbon dioxide is transported by RBCs, whereas 70% of it is carried as a bicarbonate, and about 7% of CO2 is carried out in a dissolved state through uh, plasma. Then, you people, if the question comes, keep. Uh, what is the percentage of carbon dioxide involved uh, uh, which is actually carried out by the plasma what will be your answer 70 option a option b is 7 option c is uh, uh, you know uh, 20 to 25 percent or option 4 that is 77 the correct answer will be 77 because these bicarbonates are also ultimately present in plasma only so 77 percent of co2 is carried out with the help by the plasma now let's discuss the transport of oxygen in detail hemoglobin is a red colored iron containing pigment present in the rbc's oxygen can bind with hemoglobin in a reversible manner to form oxyhemoglobin remember it's a reversible manner each hemoglobin molecule can carry a maximum of four molecules of oxygen remember four molecules of oxygen binding of oxygen with hemoglobin is primarily related to partial pressure of oxygen partial pressure of oxy uh, par partial pressure of carbon dioxide so these are the you know uh, terms on which uh, 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 this uh, binding of oxygen with hemoglobin depends so partial pressure of oxygen partial pressure of, of carbon dioxide hydrogen ion concentration and temperature are the factors are the other factors which can interfere with its binding a sigmoid curve is obtained when the percentage saturation of of hemoglobin with oxygen is plotted against the partial pressure of r2 this curve is called oxygen dissociation curve and is highly useful in studying the effect factors like partial carbon dioxide hydrogen concentration etc on binding of o2 with hemoglobin now 
in the alveoli where there is a high partial pressure of oxygen low pco2 lesser hydro, uh, less h plus concentration and lower temperature the factors are all favorable for the formation of oxygen hemoglobin whereas in the tissue where low pco2 and high pco2 and high hydrogen concent high hydrogen ion concentration and high temperature exist the conditions are favorable for dissociation of, of oxygen from the oxyhemoglobin this clearly indicates that o2 gets bound to the hemoglobin in the lung surface and gets dissociated at the tissues every 100 ml of oxygenated blood very very important line every 100 ml of oxygenated blood can deliver around 5 ml of oxygen to the tissues under a normal physiological conditions remember every 100 ml of oxygenated blood can deliver around 5 ml of oxygen to the tissues under normal physiological condition normal physiological condition not when well you are exercising or uh, uh, anything else is happening okay uh, now if we talk about the transport of carbon dioxide then carbon dioxide is carried by hemoglobin as carboamine carbamino hemoglobin about 20 to 25% okay this binding is related to the partial pressure of carbon dioxide PO2 is a major factor which could affect this binding when PCO2 is high and PO2 is low and as in the tissues more binding of carbon dioxide occurs whereas when the PCO2 is low and PO2 is high as in the alveoli the dissociation of CO2 from carbamino hemoglobin takes place there is CO2 which is bound to hemoglobin from the tissue is delivered uh, to uh, delivered at the alveoli rbcs contain a very high concentration of the enzyme carbonic anhydrase and a minute quantities of the same is present in the plasma too this enzyme facilitates the following reaction in both the direction so let's un- understand this reaction when carbon dioxide is mixed with water in the presence of carbonic anhydrase it forms h2co3 which in turn releases h plus ions and we know when the h plus ion increases there is a higher chance of co2 to you know uh, bind in place of oxygen but this reaction is reversible so you know it can uh, reverse back as well at the tissue side where partial pressure of co2 is high due to catabolism co2 diffuses into blood that is rbcs and plasma and from hco3 present h h plus hco3 minus and h plus at the alveolar side where pco2 is low the reaction process in the opposite direction leading to the formation of co2 and h2o isn't it so tissue is the uh, you know kind of uh, 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 correct sequence is followed and while in case of alveoli the opposite sequence is followed the co2 trapped as a bicarbonate at the tissue level and transported to the alveoli is released out as a co2 isn't it now every very important term now again listen every uh, every very important line i i mean every 100 ml of deoxygenated blood delivers approximately 4 ml of co2 to the alveoli every 100 ml of oxygenated blood delivers approximately 5 ml of oxygen to the tissues but this every 100 ml of deoxygenated blood delivers around approximately 4 ml of carbon dioxide to the alveoli okay now Uh, let's discuss the regulation of respiration human beings uh, have a significant ability to maintain and moderate the respiratory rhythm to suit the demand of body tissues this is done by the neural system a specialized center present in the medulla region of the brain called respiratory rhythm center is primarily responsible for uh, this regulation another center present in the pons region of the brain called pneumotaxic center can moderate the function of the respiratory rhythmic cent- rhythm center neural signal from the 
placenter can reduce the duration and inspiration and thereby alter the respiratory rate remember the center which is present the center actually this what is written over here this pons region can actually you know reduce the duration of uh, inspiration uh, and it can thereby ultimately uh, alter the respiratory rate a chemosensitive area is situated adjacent to the rhythm center which is highly sensitive to carbon dioxide and hydrogen concentration increase in this substance can activate the center which in turn can signal the rhythm center to make a necessary adjustment in the respiratory process by which this substance can be eliminated respirator respirators associated with the aortic arc and carotid artery also can recognize changes in co2 and h plus concentration and send necessary signals to the rhythm center for remedial actions remember they are more sensitive to carbon dioxide and hydrogen h plus ion than there's a po2 concentration okay uh, the role of oxygen in the regulation of respiratory rhythm is quite uh, insignificant just I said the same isn't it now let's discuss the disorders of respiratory uh, system first is asthma asthma is difficulty in breathing causing wheezing due to inflammation of bronchi and bronchioles then if you talk about the emphysema then it is emphysema is a chronic disorder remember it is a chronic disorder in which alveolar walls are damaged due to which respiratory surface is decreased one of the major cause of this is cigarette smoking then comes this occupational respiratory disorders so in occupational respiratory disorders that uh, in certain industries especially those involving grinding or stone breaking so much dust is produced that the defense mechanism of the body cannot fully cope with the situation long exposure can give rise to inflammation leading to fibrosis that proliferation of fibrous tissue and thus causing serious lung damage workers in such industries uh, should wear protective mask quite simple now let's discuss this summary uh, their masks are actually different uh, surgical mask or the you know n95 won't work there there are you know different marks for this occupational uh, things industries okay for grinding mining purpose now cells utilize oxygen for metabolism and produce energy along with substance like carbon dioxide which is harmful animals have evolved different mechanism for the transport of oxygen to the cells and for the removal of carbon dioxide from there we have a well-developed respiratory system comprising two lungs and associated air passages to perform this function. The first step in respiration is breathing by which the atmospheric air is taken in, that is inspiration, and the alveolar air is released out, that is expiration. Exchange of O2 and CO2 between the deoxygenated blood and the alveoli transport of these gases throughout the body by blood. Exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide between the oxygenated blood and tissue and utilization of oxygen by the cells or the cellular respiration are the other steps involved. Inspiration and expiration are carried out by creating pressure gradients between the atmospheric and the alveoli with the help of specialized muscles, intercostals and diaphragms. Volume of air involved in these activities can be estimated with the help of spirometer and are of clinical significance. Exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide at the alveoli and, 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 and tissue occur by diffusion. Rate of diffusion is dependent on the partial pressure gradient of oxygen that is PO2 and CO2 that is PCO2. The solubility as well as the thickness of the diffusion surface. This, uh, this factors in our body facilitate diffusion of oxygen from the alveoli to the deoxygenated blood as well as from oxygenated blood to the tissues. The factors are favorable for the diffusion of CO2 into the opposite direction that is from tissue to the alveoli. 
Oxygen is transported mainly in as uh, oxy oxyhemoglobin that is around 95 to 97 percent. In alveoli where PO2 is higher, oxygen gets bound to hemoglobin, which is easily dissociated at the tissue where PO2 is low and PCO2 and uh, H plus concentration are high. Nearly 70% of carbon dioxide is transported as bicarbonate ion with the help of enzyme carbonic anhydrase. 20 to 25% of carbon dioxide is carried by hemoglobin as carbaminohemoglobin. In the tissue where PCO2 is high, it gets bound to blood, whereas in alveoli where PCO2 is low and PO2 is high, it gets removed from the blood. Respiratory rhythm is maintained by the respiratory center in the medulla region of the brain. A pneumatic center in the pons region of the brain and a chemotaxic area in the medulla can alter respiratory mechanism. Uh, if we talk about the first question of the exercise, then it says something like, uh, what is vital capacity? We already know what is a vital capacity. That it, in, it includes ERV, uh, TV, then IRV, uh, yeah, IRV, EV, and uh, TV. These are the uh, three, three, three actual uh, you know, uh, things involved uh, in uh, vital uh, vital capacity. Uh, and if you talk about its significance, then vital capacity is significance to, you know, uh, study uh, the respiratory health of individual to check whether the person is uh, uh, healthy or uh, not. Uh, if you talk about this, uh, the next question goes like, state the volume of air remaining in the lungs after normal breathing. Uh, after normal breathing, there is ERV is present and uh, RV is also present. So, if you talk about the RV, ERV, then it's about uh, ERV, expiratory reserve volume. So, expiratory reserve volume is uh, ERV plus uh, RV residual volume is around uh, we, we, we actually uh, didn't check the values, isn't it? Uh, yeah, the value of ERV actually is not mentioned. Our, uh, uh, ERV is there, isn't it? ERV is 1000 and uh, uh, the another thing is residual volume. These are the two things which going to stay. So basically 1000 plus 1100, basically 2100 is the uh, volume which going to stay in the lungs after uh, normal uh, expiration. Uh, then if we talk about the third question, then it goes something like diffusion of gases occurred in the alveolar region only and not in other parts of respiratory system. Why? Uh, because alveolar region is uh, mainly involved in transport of gases. Otherwise, all the region are involved in conducting zone. The actual uh, exchange alveolar is the uh, actually having a you know the membrane the diffusion membrane is available there like it's so thin that uh, uh, gases exchange can take place so easily uh, that is the region now what are the major transport mechanism for co2 and explain uh, see the transportation of oxygen uh, carbon dioxide basically takes place in uh, uh, with the three in the th three basic uh, uh, forms first is you know carb amino hemoglobin which is around uh, uh, nearly uh, 20 to 25 percent and if you talk about uh, in the form of bicarbonate then it is 70 percent and again in the form of uh, uh, 7 percent is carried in the form of dissolved state so yeah this is how this carbon dioxide is transported the remaining question if you are interested then go ahead and solve we've uh, successfully finished this chapter number 17 as well now it's your duty to finish all the mcqs uh, maximum mcqs that you can solve you can uh, you should solve and we will meet soon with the next chapters that are uh, 
uh, transport in plants and uh, mineral nutrition and uh, in uh, human physiology we will meet soon with the body fluids and circulation and excretion uh, till then keep uh, keep studying uh, uh, bye bye